Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Taste. This is Doug Schaefer. Thanks very much for checking out the podcast. Today we've got a guy who is seen as one of the top winemakers of his generation, Dave Ramey. Dave's been making killer wines in Sonoma and Napa counties for a long time. He's a great innovator and I can't wait to talk with him. So here we go. Welcome back. Doug Schaefer here with another episode of The Taste. Uh, we've got a, a, a wonderful guy in here who I've known forever, a great winemaker, Dave Ramey. Dave, welcome. Thank you, Doug. Pleasure to be here. Glad you're here. I've got to tell you something. Years ago, before I met you, I kept hearing about you. <laughs> uh, the first time was from a guy named Park Hafner, huh. who was my uh, lab partner in Chem 1A at Davis. And then, you know, through the years, I got into the business. I'm working here at Schaefer, and I, I heard about you from Larry Hyde uh-huh. in Carneros, Chardonnay, great grower. And, you know, it almost, Dave, I got to tell you, it almost became like this thing. It's like, who is this guy, Dave Ramey? And he worked at Pet- Petrus, and Petru- Petrus in France. And, you know, it was, it was almost like you were a mythical winemaker. I, think, I mean, it's like you were like a wine whisperer. And then... Uh, then I met you a few years after that. It's like, hey, he's a regular guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you hang around long enough and, uh, you know, people start to hear about you. <laughs> that was great. So t- talk to me, man. Where'd you, where'd you grow up? Where'd you start? Well, um, other than uh, having been born in Seattle and lived around there for six years, essentially my family relocated to uh, Sunnyvale, which is now Silicon Valley, in 1958, the wow. same year the Giants came to to the Bay Area. Okay. And um, I, I went to school from, from third grade through 12th grade with uh, Steve Wozniak as a classmate. So, yeah, and Jobs was two years behind us, apparently, at, at Homestead High. Apple Co- Computer. Know, Cupertino, yeah. Man. It was right. So, you know, Did, I was there. And here we are in the middle of Napa Valley right now, and we, you know, we we work in in Sonoma County, but, um, you know, when we moved to Sunnyvale in 1958, it was it, it was uh, in a subdivision plopped down in the middle of the orchards. You know, right. there were cherries, there were apricots, there were prunes. If you went a little towards Santa Clara, there were walnuts, and so I watched. I, as I was growing up in the middle of, of uh, I, I grew up in the middle of Silicon Valley being created and, and paved over and uh, replacing agriculture, agriculture with houses. So you lived there, you know, because we've all heard that story. Some of the best farmland in the state of California gets paved over. So you were living there, seeing it happen. Was yeah. it, what was it? So I think about today, and we were talking about getting projects done in Napa and Sonoma. It's challenging with permitting outside. But what was it like then? Was was there those challenges, or was it like just go, man, go? Was- well, you know, the thing was, all those crops that I just mentioned are commodity crops. Right. So there was no value-added proposition like making wine from wine grapes to allow the farmers to to support agriculture. They couldn't. They couldn't hope to compete with housing, and and why should they? But Good we point. in Napa and Sonoma have this value-added proposition wine, which allows multi-generation farmers. I think, you know, in Sonoma, I work with the Martinelli family, Mm -hmm. the Moritzons, the Duttons, uh, the San Giacomos, uh, Larry Hyde, you mentioned, uh, in in Napa Carneros. That allows these multi-generation farming families to continue farming. And it's it's wine and wine grapes that's the only crop, really, well, 
marijuana. We'll see what we'll happens see what with happens that. There, but right. you know, that and and so the commodity crops. There's no there's no way uh, that that they could compete with houses. With houses. Well, this reminds me of um, years ago. I lived in a, a little place in St. Helena. It was kind of on the west side. It was a subdivision. But it kind of had a little bit of a view over the valley. And the, my, my, I was newly married, had a couple little kids, and my neighbor was a guy named Mike Shuey. You don't know him. I've, I've, I've heard the name. Mike Shuey was vineyard manager for Louis Martini Winery. Yeah. Forever. And this guy was a farmer. I mean, yeah, I'm a seller rat and boots and all that and jeans. But this guy, you know, he wore the Big Ben shirts. You know, I mean, yeah. he was a farmer. And you, you got to have, remember, in addition to the tractor cap, you got to <laughs> have the plaid polyester short sleeve shirt. Yes. <laughs> got to. <laughs> you got to have the uniform. <laughs> but, you know, we, a lot of times we'd come home and we'd end up coming home at the same time, 530 or 6 from work, and we're getting out of our cars or trucks. And, hey, Mike, hey, Doug. Hey. And a lot of times we'd take a moment, just chit-chat. How's it going? How's the crop looking? You know, that type of thing. And one time I was looking out over the valley with him. I said, man, just beautiful here, Mike. And he goes, and he said to me, he said, you know, maybe, just maybe. I said, what? He goes, maybe this place will stay this way. I said, what are you talking about? And he told the same story you just told about Silicon Valley. That's where he grew up yep. from a farming family. Yep. And he was just sad about it because some of the best land getting you know, torn up yep. or built over. And his point then, this was back in the late 80s, was like maybe with this crop is, of grapes is valuable enough as wine, we can keep this place green. That's exactly. And yeah. yet, you know, it's not, a, the, the, the danger in, in Napa and Sonoma is not from subdivisions. We do have green belts and, and uh, urban growth boundaries and, and ag preserve. Um, but um, for some reason, at least in Sonoma, and I think probably in Napa too, the county would sometimes subdivide, allow allow subdividing to smaller parcels on ag-zoned land. In Ooh. in Sonoma, it's LIA, Land Intensive Agriculture. Got it. But you can go up and down West Side uh, Road in, in Russian River Valley outside of Healdsburg and find six-acre parcels, 10-acre parcels of ag-zoned land. And that's what's eating away, nibbling away at agriculture is essentially McMansions, people retiring to wine country right. and building, you know, buying a, a, a parcel, small parcel that's still zoned ag, and then they build a McMansion. They might even plant two or three acres of vineyard and masquerade as small uh, grape small growers. Grower. But really, that's the greatest That's the greatest threat that's at nibbling threat right at, at true agriculture, at production agriculture. That's Sonoma. Napa, it's it's gotten really strict here in Napa. I mean, they're they're they pay a lot of attention to the zoning, which is great. And uh, but it's a it's a struggle ongoing. Yeah. I'd like to see as much uh, permitting uh, process for uh, hillside McMansions as I would for wineries. Yeah, well, and they've got it here. You know, Ridge Top, Ridge Line. Yeah, I've seen it. But uh, it's a challenge. It's yeah. a battle. So Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley, Sunnyvale, Sunnyvale, right? And yep. uh, high school sports uh, high school, activities. Homestead High. Okay. And uh, no, I was uh, I wasn't I wasn't a joiner. So uh, and then from there, <laughs> from there, probably probably the the most perfect and the at the same time the worst college for me was 
UC Santa Cruz. Now that was 1969 to 73, and so there was a lot of, let's say, free thinking going on. A lot of free thinking. <laughs> so you were at UC, so high school went to UC Santa Cruz, 69, yeah, yeah, 73. which was both, uh, at one, uh, honestly, only about 45 minutes away, right. and on the other hand, a world away, you know? <laughs> it, was, it was truly a, a city on the hill, and those were in its idealistic days before, you know, because Silicon Valley wasn't what it was. Now UC Santa Cruz functions almost as a, as a you know, a high-tech incubator. Got it. Uh, sort of, a, you know, an alternate uh, Stanford for, for Silicon Valley. But um, at the time, it was, the original idea was based on Oxford. So we had these small colleges, Merrill, okay. Crown, Stevenson, and um, I don't, it was never really that successful, but there certainly was a lot of, let's just say, free thinking going on. <laughs> <laughs> what you, would you study at Santa Cruz? I made up my own major. Um, my wife would tell you I'm an Aquarius, so uh, I'm a, a bit of a, a free thinker. And so I thought outside the box and made up my own major. And I called it American Studies, but it was really American Lit. What I was interested in um, was the expression of the American character through literature all the way. And you could take that all the way from Cotton Mather um, you know, through, and it finally went, you know, Mark Twain, right. Ernest Hemingway famously said, all American literature starts with one man, actually with one book, Huckleberry Finn by mm -hmm. Mark Twain. And, um, and then you can carry it on through Edgar Allan Poe. And then, and then, you know, in the, in the, in the detective genre from, uh, you know, with Dashiell Hammett, um, and Raymond Chandler. And so, yeah, so I, I, I was both, it was both, I was interested in the aesthetics of writing, you know, the, 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 the poles being Hemingway on one side and in his terseness and eliminate, 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 and William Faulkner on the other, who never met a period that uh, he didn't want to <laughs> excise. Um, Faulkner's tough. Oh, oh, it, yeah, it was, it was tough. Oh. I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think he's aged particularly well, actually. Yeah. Uh, so, are you still writing? Uh, it's like pulling teeth. Okay. I, I, I have I'm making to, a big assumption that you were writing. I, so I have to say it. I can write well, but I don't do it much. Um, it. And if I do, it's it's winery related, you Got know. It. But and it's it's perfect, but it, it doesn't. There's not a lot of it. <laughs> I'm with you. Brevity. I'm, I'm happy when now that my kids have, have, have joined the business and Alan, Alan and Claire are, are I'm, uh, you know, I'm letting them write a lot of stuff, and that's I'm I'm fine with that. All right. Well, great. So you're at Santa Cruz, American Lit. I got to ask you, but what about wine? Was was going back to high school in their home? Was was wine part of no? Uh, the there home was scene? nothing, nothing from my parents. Okay. Uh, so, for some reason, while I was at Santa Cruz with a couple of friends, we started visiting wineries. We used to, one friend and I used to ride our bikes down to uh, Bargetto Winery in okay. Soquel. I remember and that. talked. I still remember the, the tasting room manager was a really nice woman named uh, Patty Ballard. And uh, actually, eventually, after I got out of Davis, Larry Bargetto offered me a job twice uh, that I didn't <laughs> take. But anyway, so, and then we'd come up here, we'd come up and, and, and ride bikes up and down, uh, you know, um, um, the trail and, and Highway 29, um, you know, from St. Helena as far north as uh, Hans Cornell. Right. We'd visit wineries and um, I was reading wine books and um, and then I got out and, I, and I, I was a waiter in a Sicilian restaurant in Los Altos for a year um, and continued to go on up to San Francisco. Okay exploring North Beach, you know, all the great Italian family-style restaurants, Cap's Corner and Gold Spike. And, um, 
And so I was around wine and food and and beverage. And and then I really only had, this is, I don't know, this is kind of detailed personal, but I only had one goal in, in life at that point. And that was to support myself for two years in another country, in another language. Okay. I, I felt it was an accident that I had been born a white male in America. Remember, remember the times. This is you right. know UC Santa Cruz, early seventies. Right. This is the anti-establishment. Yeah. Remember that? Totally. Oh, yeah. yeah. And um, so I, I, my span, my my language was was Spanish, and so I settled on teaching English in Colombia, and so I was in on Col- my way in Colombia. Yeah, Colombia, okay. South America. Right. I didn't make it. I got waylaid uh, by a family. <laughs> Uh, that I picked up hitchhiking in uh, Leon, Guanajuato in central Mexico. And I ended up um, spending, uh, you know, half a year or so with them. Um, but during that period wait, wait, of time... I got to ask, did you have a job in Colombia or you were just heading there? You know, <laughs> the, it was... I went into Mexico and came back and then it was on the way back again that I got the job offer in okay. Colombia. Okay. Yeah. okay. So... I actually went down and back and forth to Leon twice because the first time on the way down, I had a 71 Toyota Hilux pickup truck with no radio. So it's it's just, you know, on the, on the long drive that day from um, uh, Mexicali to Hermosillo, right. I'm just, it's just me and a saguaro and I'm thinking, well, what am I going to do when I'm done with this? And in French, you call it a coup de foudre, a, a lightning bolt, an inspiration. Mm-hmm. I was... Well, why not make wine? Uh, it makes people happy. It's uh, not bad for the environment. It's an aesthetic statement. It just came out of the blue. It came, yeah. Okay. It came, I had been visiting wineries and reading wine books, but I never thought okay. about it professionally. And then so I'm driving along and uh, this two-lane highway in northern Mexico, and, and then I'm thinking, no, I can't do that. It's, it's just... Uh, Davis is just for sons and daughters of industry, like Mike Martini. So, you know, <laughs> two miles later, you know, the thought, no, that, wait, that's not true. Uh, it's the University of California. My parents pay taxes for it. Hell, right. I pay taxes for it. Oh, you so, see Santa Cruz. Because you, so, you, were, you, were, you were done with Santa Cruz at this point. Yeah, I okay. graduated. graduated. I, had a, right. I, had a, I had a Bachelor of Arts in, in, right. in lit, American Studies. And, and um, so I, I all but... What happened was I, I ended up staying longer than I thought I would with this family, and they convinced me, "What do you need to go to Columbia? You know, come on, <laughs> you know." So, so I turned, I came back, drove back to apply to UC Davis. Now, I did not think that you could get a master science without a bachelor science. I mean, nobody told me. I didn't know you you could get if you had the same prereqs that right. you could have a bachelor of arts and then get a master of science. So, I applied to Davis as uh, for second bachelors, which had, had the lowest priority admittance. So they they. They said, "You can't, you can't come until you get your basic science someplace." Oh man! Well, see, now I'd taken this this decision. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make wine, and I, I couldn't. So, because I, I learned this, I got on the same day almost. I got the job offer from Columbia, and I got the letter from Rosemary Pangborn at UC Davis, <laughs> who was the dean at that point of the Ag and Science College, and said. Um, you can't come until you get to science. So I'm back driving down into central Mexico. <laughs> I'm thinking, and that point I stayed 
two weeks, I turned around and I came back. And two weeks later, I was in Chem 1A and Bio 1 and, and, and Pre-Calculus Algebra at San Jose State. And really? Yeah. So three semesters at San Jose State, all A's. You just then, smoked then it. Then they couldn't keep me out. You just smoked it. <laughs> That's so cool. You know, it's funny because the biggest thing, I was, I was afraid, of, afraid of science and because uh, I, never, I never took science, never liked science. I was right. a word guy. Uh, and it turned out, turned out I was really, I was pretty good at it. The only thing I wasn't good at was, was calculus. That's, well, that, join the that, club. That, that that's remains a, a mystery to a, me. That's a big club. <laughs> <laughs> I'm president of it. I can, you've got free membership. Um, so a year and a half, three semesters, you bang it out. And so you apply to Davis in the, as a, for a master's. Second, second, no, still oh, second it's, bachelor's. And oh, I got in, oh, they geez. finally let me in with my three semesters of age from, <laughs> from, uh, you know, four classes each, <laughs> each semester right. from, from San Jose state. And, and then my first semester in, I was talking to my student counselor and she said, well, why don't you, why don't you apply to the master's program? And, I said, you could do that? And she said, sure. So I did. And, you know, so I just changed. I mean, I, I, I was in, I was, you know, take, it didn't make any difference in terms of the classes. It just meant I had to do a thesis, you know, do a, do a research right. project. Do a research thing. So, yeah. So three years at Davis, the, the first two years getting, the first year basically, you know, the, the sort of advanced science, biochemistry and stuff. And, right. then the, and then the second year, all the wine classes. And then the third year, a couple more and, and my thesis, and thesis research. Yeah. So. And so this time period was when? So, so at Davis from 76 to 79. And this was, a, you, you, I'm sure you're aware, Doug, this was an interesting time because there were a lot of us, a lot of us, liberal arts retreads who got out. We had degrees in literature, in philosophy, in political science, in history. And then we got out and some of us were waiters for a little while. Mm -hmm. And then we started thinking, well, I can't keep doing this forever. When am, how am I going to actually make some money? And, and so, you know, uh, my friend John Consgard was there at Consgard the time. Consgard was there. Uh, David uh, Graves and David Dick Graves, Ward Dick went Ward. on to Sainsbury. Jack, Jack Stewart. Stewart, Silverado, Kathy Corson, Paul Hobbs, Tony uh, Soder. Tony Soder. Well, Tony was not. Uh, Tony was. Tony was dating Kathy, so That's we right. saw him now and then. But uh, yeah, he, he was. Well, I've got a funny story for you. I remember you guys. Ah, because I was there. So, so when were you there? I was there. Started in seventy four. Oh. 74 to 78. Oh, okay. And, I, and I'll tell you why our paths never crossed. Because I didn't cross with these other guys either. So I'm there the first couple of years doing all the basic science, calculus, all that stuff. What did you think your major was? My my major was VIT. Oh, it was? Yeah, because okay. I went into that. And Wait, VIT or enology? Because at the time they were different. Um, it was VIT. It was viticulture. You were going to be plant science. Plant, plant science. Because okay. I wanted to be a farmer. Okay. And then, right. I, then the enology thing came later. So I'm doing the basic classes. And I think the first time I saw you guys, because I, I remember it vividly, <laughs> was VIT. I don't know if you were in this particular class. It was, was it VIT one, uh, 121 A and B? Dr. Cook taught it. Oh. 101, 101 A and B, Vit, yeah. Dr. Cook, yeah. the crazy Cook guy. Cook taught the first uh, yeah. a quarter, and Cleaver taught the second quarter. Right. 116 A and 116 B. 116 A and B, thanks. Yeah. So I'm in the back of the class with Brian Del Bondio, um, Kim McPherson from Texas, oh, yeah. Bill mm -hmm. Ward, yeah. <laughs> remember Bill? And you guys are in the front, front row. 
You were up there. I don't know if you were up there, but I remember Kathy Corson, and you guys were just, you were the red hots. Because I was like a sophomore, early junior year, and it was like very apparent you guys were totally focused because you knew what you wanted to do. And I'm like a sophomore, you know, hanging out, partying, going, yeah, yep. I'm kind of doing this, but I'm basically, you know, partying and yeah. chasing girls and all that. But so we'd sit back there and look at all you red hots up there with your hands up, and we would just laugh at you. And little did I know, it's like, wow, I should have paid more attention in that class. Yeah, we were we were focused. Um, Definitely you know, focused. Uh, David and Dick established their yeah. uh, friendship, and they were always in the front row. And yeah. they were, you know, and and, <laughs> and particularly that class. I tell this story sometimes because Randall Graham, Randall and I went to school together twice because we were at Santa Cruz at the same oh. time, <laughs> and we only crossed paths once and didn't really. But then we we showed up at at, at, at Davis, and and so he was. He was focusing initially not on Roan stuff, which, and he deserves mm-hmm. a lot of credit for kind of, you know, igniting the interest in Roan varieties here right. in California. But at the time, it was Pinot Noir, and and he and so he was focusing on on this limestone soil, and um, and uh, he raised his hand once and asked Jim Cook, uh, "Well, so if limestone is important." Um, how about if you're planting a Pinot Noir vineyard, if you, 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 you know, you dig a hole and you put, you know, two pounds of limestone in the hole. Yeah. And, um, I mean, Cook just, you could just start to see steam coming out of his ears. <laughs> he says, God damn, why don't you just dig a hole and throw a $10 bill in it? <laughs> <laughs> he was, he was outspoken. Yeah. And totally, um. Oh, he would get thrown out with some of the things he said. He would yeah. say, oh, just, you know, unbelievable what he'd say. Um. And so the reason you didn't see me is because middle of junior year, I realized I really wanted to teach school. Oh. So what I did, I had enough credits to get my VIT degree, plant science VIT degree. So instead of taking a lot of enology electives, I started taking education classes. Oh, okay. Ed Psych and Psych, which well, was, because I was you. Totally, you end up doing podcasts, you know, well, you're educating the public. It's full circle. <laughs> so, um, so I ended up getting, you still got the, the VIT degree, but then I stayed an extra year in 79 and got uh, a teaching credential at Davis. Uh, okay. So that's why I never saw you guys again. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And, and how long did you teach and where and what'd you I, teach? Uh, I went down to, I got a job in junior, in teaching junior high math and science in Tucson, Arizona. Oh, wow. In 1979. And I think, I was thinking about this last night, thinking about you. 79, where'd you go in 79? 79, I went to, I went, I knew I wanted to to work overseas before, uh, and specifically France. Um, and then Australia was just sort of because there was a, an extra harvest possibility. But, and so the question was, you know, Burgundy, Bordeaux, Burgundy, Bordeaux, because even at the time, really, it was, it was, Chard- it wasn't Pinot Noir yet in 79, but it right. was Chardonnay, Cabernet. I mm-hmm. mean, those were the, the, even, not to the extent that they are now, but at the time, those were the grapes. That was it. And so I finally settled on, on Bordeaux. And then it turned out I, I worked in Merlowland in Pomerol, not not in not in the Maydock. Yeah, but there's there's really no difference other than soil and the variety. You make them the same. So right. uh, you know. So anyway, yeah. So I worked. I worked. Uh, I still. So I, I, I had this plan. I started taking French, um, and I asked. Um, I, I wrote this letter in my crappy French too. I had my teacher <laughs> correct it, and I asked. I asked uh, Kunky and Amarine, who was emeritus at that point, but he came in for a lecture every year, right. um, for referrals to French wineries. And I still remember, I wrote, I wrote 14 letters, <laughs> I got seven responses, six no's, 
and one yes. And one yes was from Christian Moex. So I ended up working with uh, people say it's it's an erroneous if people ever say, you know, you work at Chateau Petrus. Nobody literally nobody works at Chateau Petrus. I mean, you yeah. know, except that they don't let any, you know, yeah. and it's it's different now. It's different. It's sort of a different ownership. But um, so you work for Etablissement Jean-Pierre Moex, which, number one, has a very significant uh, um Negociant uh, factory right. in Libourne on right. the on the Quai du Priorat, but at the time and still managed or owned, depending, uh, maybe I don't know, twenty five, twenty eight uh, chateaux, so called. Got it. In, in mostly Pomerol, but also at the time Canon and Canon Francais, and then and then Saint Emilion. So so I did pump overs that first time because I, I I worked there twice okay. in seventy nine and eighty nine. But in seventy nine, I did pump overs and I shoveled out tanks basically. And That's what. I I wanted to ask you that today because I was thinking, you know, you're working there. It's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Well, this is part of the myth, the myth of Dave Ramey. And now oh, it's God. like, he's doing pump overs by hand, right? By hand. By hand. I remember those. And uh, uh, shoveling tanks. I yeah, know that too. I can, I can tell you, I don't think I've ever shared this. You know, you spend all morning and then there's a nice, just as an aside, Muex Christian runs one of the nice old traditional operations where you have two hour you have breakfast every morning two hour lunch with wine and then and then big big dinners with lots of wine okay and all the all the workers all the staff everybody eats together nice um uh, but so basically you know you're working about three, three and a half hours in the morning doing pump overs, and then two hour lunch, and then three, three and a half hours. You'd like I was pumping over initially, I pumped over at Pomerol. Um, wow, and it's it's really kind of boring, you know. I That's mean, really you boring. just you know, the, you got this little piston pump down on the bottom, and and it's just a little, yeah, it's not a powerful stream of wine, you know. You just you just and you, and, and and I, yeah, honestly, I I was reading. Uh, tale of two cities in in the the kind of penguin translation where you had the english on one page and the french in the other so i was i was reading reading it in both languages in one hand my my left hand while my right hand was doing the pump over you gotta be kidding me you're <laughs> terrible i'm glad you didn't drop the booking in the tank did you oh that's great uh, that's a good that's so, a good story and then you know and then and then uh, as the season you know it's been about three weeks on the skins and as as mm-hmm. it moves on um you know, then I got transferred to shoveling, shoveling out tanks. And of course there's no, there's no fan, no you fan. know, there's, uh, you know, you get in, get in the tank, you bet you can, you, you can, a bunch of CO2, you know. <laughs> well, I remember, you know, in the early days working with Randy Mason over at Lake Spring and shoveling tanks and, you know, near the end of harvest, you know, you go out a couple of times and stay out late. I was single you go out and do some drinking the night before yeah, you sure. come in, yep. feeling a little green. The first yep. thing you got to do is get in one of those tanks, which is mm. alcoholic. And oh my God, it's like, <laughs> oof, those are the days. So I just want to get on the record. So in 1979, you got, you went to France and I went to Tucson, Arizona. Yeah, just there, you go. Put, there you go. There you go. So I love it. So you're there for just to harvest? Or? Yeah, okay. I, I spent, I think I spent four months um, uh, total. I knew I, I, I scheduled going to um, Paris for a month before uh, going to Pomerol to, and taking classes at the Alliance Francaise because once neat. again, I mean, you know, I, I just knew that when you once you get on the career merry-go-round, you, it's very hard to get off, and and so I mean, I lived in Paris for a month. I mean, you know, who's nice. going to do? You know, how often? <laughs> I I would never have that chance again chance in my life. Again. You know, and then and then three months in in uh, in Pomerol, yeah. 
But that so that was your first actual out of school first wine job wine gig. Well, and, not exactly. Um, my friend Nick Martin, who also he and I he and I were actually roommates together at Santa Cruz in the senior year. So he was at Santa Cruz and then Davis also. A lot of lot of Santa Cruz people. David Graves was Santa Cruz. Okay. Randall Graham, uh, Dick and Donnie Dyer and Bill Bill Dyer okay, right. both were Santa Cruz. Um, and uh, Fred Peterson was Santa Cruz. He was he was part of our I remember Fred cohort. Yeah, yeah he was yeah. a vineyard. He was yeah. my uh, one sixteen. He was the pruning mm-hmm. uh, TA. Um, but um, so uh, Nick Martin finished up his bachelor's and got a job as winemaker at Lambert Bridge okay. in Dry Creek Valley. And he asked me if I could could help part time during the harvest. So I scheduled my. Uh, I, I only took uh, one or two classes. I scheduled them so that they were on. Monday and Wednesday, and then I came back. I was doing my lab lab analyses of my esters for the research, mm-hmm. and um, so Wednesday night I would drive over to Hillsburg and and stay at their house, and then I work Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then Sunday night I'd drive back to Davis. So that's where I've got my first experience shoveling, for example, um, Chardonnay. Mostly they made Chardonnay, okay, and they didn't have a a destemmer. Um, so we, we would, um, shovel the, oh no, they had, no, they had the destemmer, but no way to get the grapes from the, the half ton bins into the stemmers. So we pitchforked them in and, 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 and shoveled and, and ended up by the time the bin was half empty, we were standing in it. So we're just we're stomping just on stomping the grapes, on you know, grapes. we have no idea what we're doing. And then, but then, they, then they got destemmed and pumped. A Moino pump into into a tank for an overnight skin contact uh, yeah. at about eighty five degrees. You ooh, know, because I mean nobody. So there was no night picking. People people weren't paying any attention to temperature of the grapes right. and, and and skin contact Hot and phenolic grapes. extraction and and so and then the next day we'd come in, drain that tank, and then shovel it out like it was a red fermenter back into the Merkel pump, the Minestrina, just like a peanut butter pump, just, just grind the just, snot out just of his grapes. Up. Just put them, put them in, you know, and then move them over to the at the time the the, the Vaseline double moving head press that would go up to about oh, seven bar. I remember those things with the chains. And yeah, all that. This, yeah, this was this was the advance between the actually the very gentle but not very efficient basket press. Right. So the so Vaseline French company they turned the press on its side and put a big <laughs> screw down the middle and these plates and chains and and and, and it got up to about seven bar. Just just like, I mean, we just beat this 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 poor fruit to a pulp. <laughs> Seven bars atmosphere compared to today. What do we go? Maybe maybe fit one atmosphere. One, one, yeah, one fifteen and a half, something like 15, that. Fifteen. Yeah. I mean, so yeah. this was back in the two uh, bar. Two bar. Yeah, yeah, we get up to two bar. Yeah. Two. The early days where our equipment, you know, uh. wasn't very gentle, <laughs> and uh, we made some rough, hearty, hearty wines. Didn't yeah, we? that was a, that, that was in advance over the continuous press. You know, yeah, I remember that. I yeah, when we those. started, then my first real job that w- was at Simi, and and we had both the double, we had the new uh, Wilmus tank presses, right. and then we had the which we used for whites, and then we had the the old Vaslin double moving head for the reds, and then there was the continuous press was sitting there, oh, but we didn't use that. Didn't use it. Yeah. So France, and then you you have a short gig in Australia. 
Yeah, I went to, I wanted to, um, and I asked Roger Bolton's help on this. I wanted the alternate experience of working in a factory. So uh, he set me up at Lindemann's Caradoc Winery, we, uh, which Phil Shaw, uh, my now friend Phil Shaw, uh, went on for Rosemount, um, had designed and set up. He was sort of the enfant terrible of, uh, of Australian winemaking mm-hmm. at the time. And um, yeah, we, we processed 37,000 tons of grapes that year and that so 37,000 tons yeah it was owned by Philip Morris um, and the big product was bag in a box Rhine Riesling which, just to just to let folks know, thirty seven thousand tons. We do about six hundred, six to eight hundred tons. So we're, we're, so yeah, we're, we're about, about the same, same size, size. Yeah. six hundred tons, seven hundred tons. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So this is this is it's major. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. So and and this so this big product was was major thing they made bag in a box Rhine Riesling. And the funny thing is, it it didn't have a drop of Riesling in it. No it no, was, no 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 no. How, yeah, how do you it, make Riesling without Riesling grapes? Well, you could say I guess Rhine Riesling was a generic uh, name like like. Uh, Hardy Burgundy or something, yeah, or true, you know, true. Um, and uh, so uh, half of it, fifty percent, was what they call Sully or Sultana or Thompson Seedless. Right. So, and then the next thirty percent was um, uh, uh, Carbon Shiraz. Now they they call Shiraz uh, Syrah Shiraz down there, Red and there grape. was all this old vine Syrah around that they'd pick at a little lower bricks and press out as a as a white grape, which left you with pink juice, Got and it. then and then decolorize that with 20 pounds per thousand gallons carbon, activated carbon charcoal. To take, to, to so, charcoal to take so, the color out. Yeah, so, so now you've got <laughs> what's known as really neutral white base. And then and then 15% Gordo, Muscat Gordo Blanco, okay. which we would call Muscat of Alexandria. That provided the, the little, little lift that little gave lift it the, the varietal so definition as Riesling. It, so you call it Riesling. <laughs> and then 5% miscellaneous whites, Colombard, Chardonnay, Shannon, you know. So it was about, uh, my memory is about, Eleven and a half alcohol, th- uh, thirty-five grams residual, three and a half percent. Pretty sweet. And yeah. it was, uh, you know, it was a creditable well, limitation of, of riesling. What, were you just <laughs> what? Were, what were you thinking? Because here you came from, you know, UC Davis and the whole thing, and, and making fine wine, and and you know, in, in Bordeaux, and, and making top quality. You know Merlot and Bordeaux, and then uh, and you're seeing this. What was it like? Were you just like, like stunned? And it, it, was it, was, like, it was the experience that I was looking for. Okay, you know, so that I would never, never. end up really doing it again. You know, but. Um, you know, you only see a, in in a harvest. You only see a one slice of the of the whole production cycle. So, you know, uh, mostly it was a lot of. <laughs> there was a lot of rotovac lease filtration, as I recall. Oh wow! <laughs> it How was neat. it was all white. There were some there were there were some rotary fermenters for reds, and and that's where I did. I was able with with Philip to taste and see some of the results of that. So three days of you know a frequent rotation of Syrah, oh my and the gosh. color was huge, and the tannin was almost non-existent, and then. 12 months later in the bottle, big squamous gobs of, of anthocyanin just precipitating out because they had no, no tannin to stabilize them. Oh, so wow. that, was, that was really interesting. That's you know, cool. You know, you do need, you know, when you're yeah. making red wine, you yeah. do need some tannin to stabilize that exactly. color. Yeah. It's like Sangiovese. I had that issue with Sangiovese. Interesting. Okay. We need to talk more. All right. So after, after Australia, back to Cal- you came back to California. What, what, how did that happen? Well, um, 
the, the story there really is that at the time, and it's not that way now, but at the time, everybody, every one of the people we've talked about got right. a full charge winemaker job right out of the gate. Everybody. Kathy was in here, Kathy Corson. Mm-hmm. We had we had the same conversation. I said, She yeah, went to Yverdon. Right. I right. Said, okay. And she I made was, the same comment you're making. But I, go for I it. was the only person that, that said to myself, wait a minute, I don't know how to make wine. I don't want to be a, a winemaker. I want to work with somebody who, who does. And I focused on Zelma Long, who I had heard was leaving Mondavi to go to see me because she was at Mondavi for years, wasn't she? Yeah, she was at, yeah. for like long time, right? Doing yeah, some well, good stuff. You know, seven, eight years. Yeah, and um, in fact, she had gone to Corneo and asked. They were looking for an experimental enologist uh, to uh, assist Rich Arnold, and so th- they ended up offering me that that job. And uh, I, I I wrote her a letter at Mondavi from. Paris with the Chateau Petrus return address on it. Saying, <laughs> nice touch. Saying, Zelma, <laughs> thanks so much for uh, the, the, this job offer, but I'm not interested in experimental uh, position. I'm interested in a production position. That said, I understand you're going to be leaving Mondavi to go to see me, and should you need an assistant winemaker, I'd love to be considered. And uh, it so worked out. She offered you the job. Uh, yeah, well, not not immediately. There was a guy named Chris Markell in that position, okay. and then he left to go to what what was to be Piper Sonoma uh, to make sparkling wine. Sparkling wine, and so that's when it worked well, out. Because Kathy made the comment, she said, "You know, those days it was a short ladder to winemaker." Just yeah, like, boom. That's compared a good, to good way it was to put a good it. way to put it. I thought yeah. it was great, and uh, and today it's not the same. No, but boy, good for you for having that foresight. <laughs> you know, it reminds me. Um, uh, when Dad wanted me to come over and be winemaker here, all I had was two years at Lake Spring. Yeah. And I told sure. him, this is 1983, and I said, uh-uh. He says, what do you mean? I said, this is a true story. I said, uh, I know enough to know I don't know how to do this. Yeah, thing. which is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and, I take this, and he talked me into it. He said, we got Chuck Ortman, consultant, we'll up their time, you know, all this stuff. And it worked out. But let me tell you something. Um, I was right. I was right. And so we had a lot of, we had some, you know, I walked into some challenging things here and, and it was like under fire, but boy, you, you know, you under learn fast. You, you learn fast. Or man. you don't. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, interesting. Well, good for you. So you, you Zelma, so now you're at Simi over yeah. in Sonoma. Al- almost five years. Zelma Long. And uh, yeah, so I, I, well, mostly I, I mean, I started and, and ended in Sonoma. I did spend six years over here in, in Napa, but um, yeah, and Zelma and I did really good work together, notably on, on right. uh, you know, on, on oxidized juice and white wine, um, Lee's contact. Uh, you know, I still remember uh, Ed Sbragia Berenger calling me once when, when I was assistant winemaker at CME and saying, you know, you, you don't really, because people were just moving, you know, from, I mean, if you if, if you work with Chuck Ortman, you know the drill, Chardonnay, yeah. you tank ferment it, and then and then when it's dry, you rack it off the lees, you put it in barrels for a short period of time, right. that's it, that's you it. know, and no mallow, and, and uh, so we, we really were, you know, moving into the, the Burgundian method, which is which is barrel ferment, malolactic, and, and, and aging on the lees. Aging on the lees. And um, Ed called me, and he, and he said, "You you don't re- you don't really need to rack after ferment, do you?" And I, and I said, "No, you don't." He said, "Do you know how much 
time and labor that saves us because they must have had 50,000 barrels oh, yeah. of, of, of barrel fermented Chardonnay. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, I used to rack Chardonnay a couple, three times a year for the Toy Valley. It was terrible. Yeah, I yeah. mean, oh. so, so anyway, we, we, that worked, the oxidized juice. So, and then, and then, um, and then uh, Mary Edwards left uh, Matanzas Creek, and I got engaged to to replace her. So so Zelma and I worked together for almost five years. Five years. Yeah. And then you moved to Matanzas Creek. And then I moved Matanzas Creek. Now was that okay? So I, my memory of Matanzas Creek is there Merlot, and it was so hot and so popular. It was so allocated, people just couldn't get <laughs> Matanzas Creek Merlot. And if you got a bottle, it was like you know finding a gold bar. So are you the guy that did that? Yeah, I would. I would say so. Then pat and, yourself and, on the back, man, because it, it was in that. That was in late eighties. It, it, it was 80, 80 really you starting were, with eighty five. Eighty four. I, I inherited and doctored. Um, 85, 86, 87, 88. 87 was a really good vintage, and and I'll tell you, Doug, the man. the thing was, and uh, you know, I I, I love uh, Roger Bolton, but. He came in as a chemical engineer from Australia and said pH is the most important thing. pH, pH, pH. It oh. controls everything. You get, you could, you could list all these, all these chemical reasons why low pH is advantageous. You have more, more active SO2. Uh, right. You got, you got more red hue. You've got more color. You got more microbial stability for various reasons, except taste. And because I had worked in, in Bordeaux, I knew that they never acidified um, a red wine. That's where you got it. Never, okay. Yeah. Because never. see, Elias and I came out of Davis just like you, and it was pH. By the way, low pH means higher acid. So the lower in, the pH. In general, yeah. Higher acid in general. And, yeah. And, but but it, it makes the wine very safe and secure, but it Taste-wise, it just kind of it can um, be it, it can just, be kind of lean. Lean. Um, lean. You mentioned Sangiovese. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Same thing. Naturally, very so, low pH. And, and, but, okay. and people weren't even analyzing the wines. You know, I mean, I I, I won't name a name, but one of my colleagues at, at, at Davis, uh, I you know, I, I said we should be tasting French wine, and he, he said, you know, and, and analyzing French wine is why. Hmm. And I, I said, well, because every wine buyer in the East Coast of the United States is is, is comparing French to California every, every day of the week. And, 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 and he said, no, that's apples and oranges. And I just never took that approach. I thought, I always thought if you were going to go, if you, if you wanted to build a Taj Mahal, you would take your protractor and ruler and go to the Taj Mahal and measure it. Right. And, 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 and it's so easy to actually, you know, measure Alcohol, TA, and pH. You could have the, just done. We the, just could the, have done the analysis right there. Yeah, and so, so, and what I what I noticed is is in, is even a, like say the eighty two vintage. So, and I'm buying those in eighty four and eighty five and analyzing. It's great Bord, vintage. Bordeaux and uh, yeah, Bordeaux, yeah. Uh, in particular Pomerols, and and I remember and I, I taste them eight or ten, ten wines. And, and, and it turned out that there were five that I deemed weak and five that I deemed uh, really delicious, strong. Mm -hmm. And then so we'd analyze them. And guess what? All the, all the weak ones had pHs uh, between 3.4 and 3.6. And all the strong ones had pHs between about 3.7, 3.8, and, 3.9. And uh, people didn't know this, that, you know, people were coming from this, oh, I got to have low pH, I got to have low pH. But it was the, it was the Davis thing. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to knock them. It was just the, the, the science thing. And, yeah. and we were victims of it too, because your time period at 
Matanzas Creek, man, I wish I knew you. I wish you and I were having lunch every week. It's because you would have saved me a lot of time. Um, our wines in the mid '80s were tart and acidic and and lean and Bullet, mean. bulletproof. Bulletproof. They age you know, forever. They age forever. But <laughs> but they weren't necessarily very delicious. Charming. Upon, charming. Delicious. So you got yeah. that. I'm so pissed off that you got that before I did because <laughs> it would have saved me about five years. But we finally figured it out with Tony Soder's help. Okay. And it started kicking in for us around uh, early 90s. Yeah. We backed okay. off. Because, yeah. man, we used to, I used to, you, I can't tell you how much tartaric acid we used to buy uh, and dump yeah. in the tanks to get to, to acidify yeah. the wines. You know, oh, man. Jean-Claude, uh, I, I learned a lot from working with Jean-Claude Barraway, the mm-hmm. longtime enologist from Wex, one of the great gentlemen of the French uh, wine world or, or the wine world uh, inter- international. Um, and he, he said, you know, uh, uh, tannin and, and, and acid are uh, antagonistic. And as, as the tannin goes up, you know, the acid must come down. And really, that's, that's Cabernet. And, right. then, and, then, and then, too, if, if, as the tannin comes down in a red wine, the acid plays more of a prominent role. Think, think Pinot Noir. Mm-hmm. And then my addition to that is, and if you have both high tannin and high acid, that's too bad. You got Sangiovese. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Then. That's and that's true. That's why we we've left Sangiovese and we let the Italians make it now. They can have at it. Brunello uh, is one of my favorite wines. Uh, much to my wife's regret, because Carla thinks that 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 they're too acidic and too tannic. You know, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, though, they're really soft compared with uh, Barolo. <laughs> yes, true. Um, Boy, this this just I had a great memory because uh, our first cab, Dad made seventy eight cab. He made it with the help of a guy. Nice vintage. It was a beautiful wine for us, and you know this is your you've just taught all of us a lesson. You know, if you want to emulate something, you know, analyze it, take it apart, and find out what's 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 it built out of. Um, and I blew it with a seventy eight cab. It was gorgeous. And I remember reading the records. And Elias and I had been here a few years, mid '80s. We're we're making wine, the, you know, the UC Davis way. And I remember reading this old. Dad had some old notes in the '78 cab, and it's like, or he was story said, yeah, you know, the it was aged. He had a pH of 3.9 throughout its year and a half in barrel. And then he had some. He said, oh, this guy who helped him finish the wine before he bottled it, you know, caught that and made an acid adjustment, got it, got it, adjusted it, but it, but still, it was only down to like three seven. And that 78 cab was one of the best wines Schaefer's ever made. Yeah. And here Elias and I are at, you know, 3.3 and 3.35. Yeah. And just, yeah. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> hinds- hindsight's 2020. <laughs> you're, being, you're being very honest oh. with your listeners there, oh. Doug. No, it's okay. They've, they've heard it just about, they've heard almost everything, but not quite. <laughs> but uh, Matanzas Creek, so you're there for five, six, four, five years? Something five, like that? About five years, okay. yeah. And also. Then, then you moved on. Oh, he moved on to? Well, Christian, Christian had in mind oh, okay. that we would work together. So okay. he asked me back to uh, Pomerol in 89, which okay. was at the time, I mean, a warm vintage, a good vintage, their earliest vintage, uh, they started harvest in, in late August, which was, they didn't early. quite know what to do. And then my uh, fiance then, uh, Carla, and now business partner and 
we'll have our 30th anniversary this uh, this October. That's great. Uh, she she came along with me, and so I was. I, th- this time I wasn't p- doing pump overs and, and shoveling out tanks. I was I was driving around with Jean Claude, or or uh, you know taking samples in vineyards and you know, tasting with Jean Claude and Christian, and she was picking grapes. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> which is hard, um, hard work. So you had her and, picking grapes, and she's still married to you. Good for you. And then uh, and then uh, we we got married. We planned to get married in France because oh, we wanted to uh, escape the uh, sort of social complications of uh, having a wedding in in California. Um, so, uh, and we weren't quite sure whether Burgundy or Bordeaux, but in the end, in the end uh, uh, Christian uh, stepped up and hosted our wedding. Wow. And... Um, so we were married uh, at the uh, by the the, the mayor of uh, Montagne Saint Emilion, Pierre Yarles, and then we had a nice champagne Boulanger champagne reception at Christian and his then wife Marilor's house, mm-hmm. and then we had uh, a great great big dinner with uh, mostly the uh, 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 staff at uh, Hostellerie La Plaisance in Saint Emilion, okay. which now. Um, um, uh, has the new the new owner um but um uh yeah so it was a yeah it was grand nice yeah it nice. was a grand adventure um and and then so as we were leaving he said you know it's not time to to work together yet find another job and we'll see so then the the job that i ended up taking uh was chalk hill so then for okay. for six years to the day actually i uh I helped uh, turn sort of turn Chalk Hill around a little bit. Yeah, change the style of wine, quality of wine, and that's when I really started doing road work too. Um, uh, you know, talking to distributors, holding, you know, holding trade lunches, doing the business, doing dinners, marketing, you know. sales, yeah, yeah the yeah. drill. You know, it's the old thing. You know, wine's easy to make; it's hard to sell. It's a challenge to sell. <laughs> but tell me about it, because Chalk Hill, the guy was Fred Firth. I never Fred knew. Firth. I never knew much about him. What was his story? Well, uh, antitrust lawyer. <laughs> Okay. Um, uh, and uh, larger, larger and louder than life. Okay. You know, always like to have two great names around. Uh, he was a pilot, um, and he had his own, kept a succession of his own jets. But he also had a full-time pilot, so that Fred liked to, you know, take off and land. But then he could do, you know, work and uh, and and this first big case I think was an asbestos case, and and it was the proceeds of that that he bought Chalk Hill. And then so he asked some, you know, so then he hired a property manager and property manager said, well, why don't we hire, why don't we plant grapes? And so he ended up, you know, the, Just, he started, the, the, the first brand was called Donna Maria, which didn't, wasn't that successful. So then he turned into Chalk Hill. And uh, yeah, so, and, you know, I continued to evolve there and mostly in terms of, of moving uh, this is now 90 through early 96, moving okay. to the native east. I came back okay. I came back from Bordeaux that second time, uh, really wondering why native east had worked so so well in France for all those years, and we weren't using it in California. Again, so, another lesson from France. So yeah. uh, I started experimenting, and within three years, I was you know, 100% uh, native east or wild east, whatever you want to call yeah. it, indigenous, indigenous, indigenous east, east, you know. And Conscar was doing that up at... Uh, he was doing it at Newton, too. Newton, yeah. right. And uh, who's the guy? Few, Franciscan. Greg people, Upton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Franciscan had a, you know, Cuvée Sauvage or something. Right. Yeah, so. But I was doing it for everything. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, 50,000 cases of of, uh, of Chardonnay, barrel fermented Chardonnay, full mallow, 
Uh, wow. So, so that was pretty close to the way we're making the Chardonnay now, with mm-hmm. the exception that it, that it was filtered uh, because it, it was like nine months in barrel. So it came, came out before the next vintage. And then so now when we do Chardonnay, the village wines, the Russian River and the Sonoma Coast, they spend 12 months on the lees in barrel and then come out and spend, you know, till after vintage and tank right. and then get bottled in like in January, February. And then the single vineyards, they spend about 20 months on lees, you know. Oh, really? Yeah. 20 months. So Leflev does that 12-month thing. And then, you know, 20 months is the old-fashioned way. It's like Coche de Lis, uh, Comte Lafon. Um, but, um, yeah, big fan of, of the lees contact. That's really huge. Well, we've grown into that too. Yeah, we do about 10, 12 months and then tank it for a couple months and yeah. after vintage. Oh, it's a beautiful system it's, because yeah. the barrels are always barrels are always full. Are, you know? <laughs> it's just like, Keep your barrels it's, full. It's, it's, it's optimally uh, uh, efficient. Yes, and it makes really good wine. So yeah. there you go. So Chalk Hill for five or six years. Six and years. Then, and then, and then, uh, the, and then Dominus. Then Chris then John, Chris John asked, asked me if I would come over and... and um, Run Dominus. It was different earlier. He, Come over from Sonoma. So from, you were, you yeah, were a big you're yeah, a Sonoma boy forever. Chalk Hill. Um, yeah, earlier we'd we'd look for property to partner on in making what he referred to as a more feminine wine, and probably probably a you know Sonoma being let's say on average about nine degrees, ten degrees cooler than than Napa. Mm-hmm. Um, so Merlot, which is an earlier ripener, does a little better in cooler areas. Here, here mm-hmm. in Napa Valley, Merlot, mm-hmm. for example, does very well in Carneros mm-hmm. and, and Oak Knoll and, and Stag's Leap, I think. But, yeah. you know, as you get further up valley, it's, it's maybe not, not the, the optimal. Right. Cabernet, Cabernet is a late season ripener, so it, it benefits from the extra heat. Mm-hmm. So we were going to uh, do that. And, and then he had some uh, business reversals and, and decided not to. But he, he changed gears and asked me if I would come over and manage Dominus. And so I, I raised some objections. I said, you can't afford me. He said, no, I'll take care of that. <laughs> I said, you know, but you don't make any white wine. And this was the genesis of Ramey Wine Cellars. Christian oh, said, okay. well, if you want to make a little child on the inside, that's okay. And so, you know, light bulb went off. And I knew Larry Hyde from Matanzas Creek. I right. bought his Semillon to go into the Sauvignon Blanc. And, and he found me some grapes. And so we started Ramey Wine Cellars, 1996, with 260 cases of Hyde Vineyard Chardonnay. So that's when it started. So, yeah. so and, just and, then, to- and then the other thing I said was, you don't, you know, but you don't have a winery because they'd always been custom crushing at Rombauer. He said, "No, you, you'd be in charge of building that." And so I was. That was really the the, the biggest thing I did I, I, while I was there was was sort of shepherd the the winery construction process because it's a beautiful it's a beautiful building. Well, it is. It's and so this is the Dominus Winery, which is located in the middle of the the vineyard property, right? Which was it's a hundred plus acres, it, something like that. Yeah, and it was the originally John Daniels right. vineyard. John Daniels was the guy who started Inglenook right years ago, and the, yeah. I think the vineyard was called Napa Nook. Napa still Nook, be. yeah, famous vineyard, and it's just. Um, it's in Yountville, just north of the town of Yountville, on the east side. Sorry, west side of the highway. A- actually, just just right right west of it, straight across the street. Yeah. If you you know if you it's, the, the northern crossroad. There's two crossroads. Right. Twenty nine. The north crossroad is just you know 
you and go straight across and you go right into it's Dominus. A beautiful pocket for Cabernet. Markham's got a great vineyard right just north of there. And so that's almost directly across the valley from Schaefer and Stag's Leap. Um, so that's, that's the property. You were building the winery. He didn't have white wine. Larry Hyde is a wonderful grower, grape grower in Carneros, who we all adore. This guy is a prof- he's a perfectionist at growing grapes, and mm-hmm. so he gave you some, he gave you some grapes. That was yep. the start of the Ramey Cellars. Yeah, and Christian was okay with that. You having your own brand. Yeah, yeah, good. But he didn't want me to make it at at Dominus, uh, which was fine because the the first year was at Rombauer anyway. Right. So I called uh, my friend John Consgard, and I, who I just <laughs> left. Uh, Newton to go Newton. to Luna, right? And I said, I, I kind of jokingly, I said, "So, John, you're gonna you're gonna make uh, custom crush my wine for me?" And he said, "You bet. That's half of what we're doing." <laughs> so he started his brand, and I started my brand at the same time, 1996. And we were in the we're both doing Chardonnay, and uh, you know him, 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 John from uh, you know his 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 parents' property, Stonecrest, right? And then uh, and me from Hyde, and and. Uh, yeah, and then I, I added Hudson in, in 97, uh, so then we grew to like a 1,000 cases. And, and you're just down the road here at Luna. You're just two yeah, miles yeah, south we of were, me. Yeah, we Luna. I drive by there all the time. I wish I'd known you guys were there. I could have stopped <laughs> in and drunk beer with you. Gosh. And, uh, and then, um, yeah, so and then, and then, but after a couple of years with Chris John, uh, I, I got introduced to Leslie Rudd and decided to help him turn the Gerard Winery into Rudd Estate. And that enabled us to move our production from Luna to Rudd. Oh, good. So it was just other, there were just other lots in the cellar. I mean, I was in charge of production and it was like, you know, well, that's Ramey Hyde, that's, that's Ramey yeah. Hudson. This is, and then I found, I found like, I found the bunch of gloopy grapes for, for Les to make his own, you know, Chardonnay and, and I access grapes. Uh, from San Giacomo and from from Dutton Duttons, and so I kind of got uh, that going. By the way, if all these names that Mr. Ramey is uh, reciting here, these are fantastic growers, great grapes. He knows how to find good grapes. <laughs> so Leslie Rudd bought um, Gerard. Yep, from Steve Gerard, Stephen Carroll on, and it's on the corner of Oakville Crossroad and Silverado Trail. And uh, they sold to Leslie Rudd, and yep. he started Rudd Cellars. That's the location. Yep. And how'd you how'd you meet Leslie? He's a he's a character. Of I was having guy. lunch with John, and um, uh, I said, you know, I might be I might be interested in uh, moving on. And he said something to his then boss George Vare, who since passed George away. Vare, yeah. George knew about Les and he knew Steve um, Gerard and so so basically George Vare put Steve Gerard and me together. together and then and then I then I went to to meet Les who was he was uh, renting Nancy Pelosi's house uh, <laughs> and and I, I walked in for for dinner and and he was he had some basketball game on and yeah and Les. Les was uh, intense in a, in a in a secretive way, but mm-hmm. other, on the surface, pretty pretty casual. Yeah, I, I never knew him well. We lost him about a year over oh, a couple of years ago. But uh, he's the one that founded Dean DeLuca. Very well, successful. He, he didn't found it. He bought it from bought the founders, okay. Giorgio Dean and uh, Joel okay. Dean and Giorgio DeLuca, who it. I had the pleasure of, of of having dinner with a couple of times in in Manhattan, and um, yeah, and then and you know. 
but you know everything has an arc and and less kind of grew Dina Luca and added added outlets and whatnot Georgetown oh. and you know Charlotte North Carolina and yeah. and um, uh, here in here in St. Helena um, but now it's you know then it you know then he sold and new yeah. ownership new and, ownership and, things, and now things and now you know our good friend Gary Fish is is Gary. occupying the St. Helena Dina Deluca which is which is really good because it's it's, really. a, it's a great physical store and Gary is a consummate retailer he's a wonderful wine guy yeah and, wonderful uh, wine guy and he's yeah. gonna you know take care of all of us well he's you know it's great you know Gary from New Jersey is coming yeah. out to <laughs> open up a new place we're all kind of you know anticipating that that's so cool. So you're with Gerard, no, I'm sorry, you were at Rudd for four or five years, and then uh, at that point, you just kind of open up your own shop, or yeah, continue, because well, the Ramey brand is growing. So, yeah, we, we grew, uh, this is amazing, you couldn't, you, you, you shouldn't, couldn't do it today, except with really cheap wine, but yeah, we went, from, we were 260 cases, 1,000, 1,000, 1,650, 7,500, Fifteen and a half thousand, no. twenty-two and a half thousand. Now that happened because. What were you thinking? So, <laughs> yeah. um, that's, see, that's fast. The, the Gerard Chardonnay program had been sort of, you know, Chardonnay and Reserve Chardonnay, and I said, well, we're not going to do that because Reserve concepts dead, right? right. Um, and we're and we're going to go where the grapes are good, and Chardonnay wants cooler climate, like Carneros or yeah. Russian River. So that's where I went back to the San Giacomos, I went to the Duttons, and I created four less. Russian River Chardonnay and, and a Carnero Chardonnay. Okay, and so then I found the Bachgloupi, so uh, which were some of the grapes that went into the Paris, you know, the Montalena right. Paris tasting Chardonnay. And uh, I told after by spring, I said, "Les, I found you your you know your top notch vineyard," and he, and he said, "Good, buy it all." <laughs> so we went from like 20 tons to 120 tons oh, man. Uh, between I want to say 99 and 2000. And, um, but that was a really good, that was a good time. You know, business was good. Then. Business was we good. Selling wine. But, Everybody but, was selling but wine. still the, the, the sales manager at the time for less was, uh, afraid of having that much wine to sell. And so I was charged then with selling 4,500 cases, I think of the 7,500 on a bulk market. Ooh. And at the time we were living in, uh, Carl and I and our kids in Glen Ellen, and I was sitting out on, the, we had sort of like a tree house in the middle of the oak trees. And I was sitting out on the deck afterwards with a glass of port. And I had this idea and I went in and I told Carla, I said, Carla, we should buy that wine. And uh, God bless her. She said, yes, you know, because <laughs> basically I spend it, she pays for it. Um, and um, so I went into Les the next day. I said, Les, I want to buy the uh, I, I want to buy the bulk Chardonnay myself. I'll give mm-hmm. you. I'll give you a buck a gallon more than yeah. whatever, you know, market is. The first thing he said was, uh, "Fine, buy the Carneros too," because he never wanted to make cheap wine. And at th- you know, thirty-five dollar Chardonnay was cheap wine. You right. know, he wanted to make sixty-five dollar Chardonnay. Right. Right. Okay. Um, <clears throat> but this this next story is good. You know, I I, I really. I mean, Les was both frustrating and, and, and charming uh, at the same time. But here's an example of something that I learned from him. It made it win-win. He said, uh, fine, but I want to I get my money out of it. I want to get book value, which is more like $24 a gallon right. instead of $16 a gallon. Right. Um, 
So you pay me book value for it, but you don't have to pay me until you sell the wine. Oh. That's win-win. That's win-win. Yeah. Oh, man. So that's how we grew so fast. I took over the Russian River and Carnera Chardonnay programs from that I created for less because he didn't want to make cheap wine anymore. You know, so that's, so, that's how so, you grew it. So we grew. How neat. How <laughs> then nice. we started adding other vineyards. We added Richie, mm-hmm. I, I think, in 01. Um, and um, then we started adding we had, we, we started adding Cabernet in okay. 01. Yeah. So I kept, I kept, uh, I was, I was bullish for, for, for quite a while. <laughs> well, I know. Well, and, and so you're 30, 40,000 cases, I think. Yeah. 30, like 35. And it's mostly Sonoma, 40. mostly Sonoma fruit. It, I think you got it is, from, yeah. it is. And, and, and increasingly, um, I, when we started, our, our Cabernet has been Napa Valley, you right. know, from, from 01. But uh, with the escalation of, uh, there's two things. I mean, the, the, the success of tourism in Napa Valley yes. has caused the escalation of Cabernet pricing. And, and I'll, I'll be honest, I, I came to the conclusion that without a storefront in Napa Valley to compete for the tourist trade, I, I couldn't compete. Right. Uh, and people don't. You know, and we bought this 75-acre parcel where we now we got the permit to build a winery, but it's it's on West Side Road, a uh, mile south of Rocchioli, across from Russian River, across from, uh, excuse me, uh, across from uh, William Selyam. Mm-hmm. And and so we're starting a Russian River Pinot program and, and shrinking our Napa footprint and um, uh, starting to dabble in some Sonoma County Cabernets. So, Good. so there's, I think, and this is a natural process, yeah. but it, it takes, takes a while takes to f- figure, figure things out, I guess. So you're going to, you're going to break ground pretty soon on the, on the wine. Well, we we're, we're, uh, we're, <laughs> we're, it's been an expensive process getting to this point. Yeah. And so now we're trying to put a few more, uh, shekels in the bank, uh, before, uh, jumping into before that. launching. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh. You start a second winery or a, or a side with the sidebar sellers. Yeah, tell uh, me about that. Second label. It's okay. not a, not a second winery, okay. but but it's a second label that you know we have a little fun with. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, we make, we make a Kerner from Lodi, uh, uh, Sauvignon Blanc, uh, you know, uh, an old Redfield blend which we now call Vines In. So, you know, it's 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 small. Um, we'll see we'll see what happens. Good. You know, hasn't I have to say I don't think it's set the world on fire, but uh, there are also 50% more labels now than there were 10 years ago. It's become... Is it, th- is it that much? A very, yeah, a very wow. complicated uh, market. And at, at the same time, uh, in the three-tier system, um, there's, you know, consolidation. Mm-hmm. You used to have Southern and Glaciers. Now you got Southern Glaciers, you know. Yeah. Uh, you used to have R- Republic and National. Then you had R&DC. Okay, you used thing. to have R&DC and, and, uh, and Young's. And now you're going to have R&DC and Young's, you know. And, uh, or, yeah, I think yeah. that's what it is. I yeah, it was going to be breakthrough. I, yeah, I can't keep track of it. Yeah. Can't. But the good news is you've been doing this in a while. You make great wines, and the people know the Ramey name. So, so it's uh, well. I'm, I'm, that's thanks. Good news. I, I, w- I wouldn't want to be starting now. Yeah, it'd be tough. Yeah. And speaking of Ramey, there's more. Your kids are your kids are working with you now. Kids are. Uh, How's Al, that going? Alan just turned 27. Claire's going to be 29 uh, here in August, and um, she's a little more on the on the uh, vineyard. Uh, 
and wine side. Alan is a little more on the on the marketing and business side. Great. So they can stay out of each other's hair. Smart. And uh, they, they uh, <laughs> as far as I know, they get along well, you know, and like each other and enjoy each other's company. So That must, that must be fun. So it's, it is totally fun, yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm sort of elevating myself more to the to the chairmanship uh, and uh, delegating, you know, as much as I can. Yeah, I like to delegate. That's one of my favorite <laughs> things to do. <laughs> at, at, at a certain point, you know, you have you got to you got to keep your eye on the big picture. You know? Big picture, and it takes time. Yeah, yeah. Takes, we, we need to go out and have lunch and talk about the big picture. This is That's something, yeah, that happens. Yeah. <laughs> so, how do people find your wines? What's the best way? Well, of course, we love it when they buy uh, direct from us, which would be RamyWine.com. Okay. Um, that's singular, not not plural, and no period, just RamyWine, R-A-M-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. Um, but as with as with you, Doug, you know, when you're at 35, 40,000 cases, we are broadly distributed. Mm-hmm. We're in all 50 states and 28 foreign countries. And um, while we may not be in, in, uh, in, in chain retail, in, in any one town, the, the fine wine retailers, right. you know, likely have our wine. Certainly, certainly the restaurants. We're about seventy percent on premise. Yeah. I see. I see a lot of a lot of wine lists. So it's great. We're, well, listen, my friend. Thank you for coming in. It's <laughs> great to see you. Great to hear your story. And um, have a good harvest, Doug. Thanks for inviting me. It's right. been fun. Thanks, Dave. Wow! I finally got a chance to hang out with Dave Ramey. He's one of those guys I've crossed paths with many, many times. It's hard to believe it took this long to sit down and have a great talk. If you get a chance, do yourself a favor and check out what he's producing at Ramey and Sidebar. He really knows how to make beautiful wines. If you like the taste, please take a moment to rate and review it on iTunes, as that helps other people find the podcast. Thanks very much for listening and for all the emails you've sent with feedback and ideas for future episodes. Anytime you want to reach us, just send an email to podcast at schafervineyards.com. I read them all and really appreciate the support. We'll see you next time.